Well, we are glad you're here. Uh, today, after Christmas, I wonder, uh, what's your house look like? Um, may, maybe it uh, looks a little like that. Um, you know, as much as we talk about uh, Christmas being a silent night and everything calm and bright, uh, I'm guessing many of you have different Christmas morning memories. Um, I want to go on the record. This is not my house, nor is it representative of my house, because I'm one of those uh, trash bag dads. And uh, I don't know um, if you're a trash bag dad, if you're in the room, but it is uh, very, very important that we get the trash bags out uh, the night before. So we are ready. As soon as the paper starts tearing, it's going in the bag, because uh, I don't want any of that stuff around the house. I know. <laughs> Uh, but to be honest, there have been some Christmas mornings where I felt like I was an Avenger fighting off Thanos, just trying to hold the chaos off because it was about to be unleashed. Uh, and, and so maybe you've had that experience where chaos could break out at any moment and there would no longer be anything you could do about it. Um, so sometimes Christmases can feel a little chaotic in a fun way. Uh, sometimes they can feel a little chaotic uh, in other ways. And, and so I think about this as we've, as we've been talking through Isaiah chapter 9, the first seven verses, specifically uh, verses 6 and 7, um, where I look at the passage and I think, well, Christmas time isn't supposed to be about chaos. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, nothing, nothing there speaks of chaos, pain, or hurt. But how, how often do you really feel like there's peace. Maybe there's moments of it, but there's just not a lot of peace in the world. You know, you think about what's our biggest threat at the moment. Maybe it's the, the fallout from a global pandemic. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's social inequality or climate change or shifting in geo, geopolitical powers. You know, we, we kind of we kind of feel sometimes like our personal lives may be chaotic. You, you worry about how you're going to manage in retirement or health scares. And you look, you just kind of look around the world and you see the place looks like it's in chaos. Uh, and, and for many, many of us, the future feels a little gloomy. And so as we, as we begin this final installment of the He Is series, looking at the prophecies of the coming Messiah from the prophet Isaiah. I want to step back from the manger scene to the time in history when these words were written, a time in the history of God's people where their future looked pretty gloomy. And so we'll start a couple chapters before Isaiah 9. So in Isaiah chapter 7, the king of Judah has a problem. Um, so the, the kingdom, God's people, that nation has been split into two parts. Uh, there's the southern kingdom, which is Judah, and then there's what we call the northern kingdom. And Judah has a problem because the northern kingdom has entered into this uh, alliance with Syria, making them a very serious threat to the people in the southern part of the kingdom. And so Isaiah's talking to the king of Judah, and he's like, listen, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. 
keep calm, carry on. Kind of that vibe is happening here. And he's, he's, tr- he's trying to say, trust in the Lord, not yourself, because it's good. everything's going to work out. Don't, don't, don't try to take things into your own hands. Be patient in the process. And so the king of Judah does what kings often do and determines they know better than Isaiah or the Lord. And so uh, he decides to enter into this, um, kind of does a little side deal with a very powerful nation known as Assyria. And the king got what he wanted. The Assyrian army came in and just demolished the northern kingdom. What he didn't bargain for was that he was that Assyria was also going to demolish the southern kingdom. And so Judah got swept away in these Assyrian floodwaters, and this began this time of occupation where they were no longer in charge of their land, Assyria was. And if you follow the history much, you'll know that that occupation was the first in a series of occupations that would last throughout the time even of Jesus, ultimately ending there in Rome. We find ourselves where, once again, God's people have chosen to place their confidence in themselves and their governmental leaders. Um, But God's judgment, just like he promised, laid waste to the people. And his people are left in darkness. And they learn, and let's face it, we should all learn this as well, that it's not political plots and conspiracy theories that we should fear, but the Lord. And so then we jump forward a couple of chapters, and Isaiah begins this this section that we've been spending some time with, and we learn that there's a light coming in the form of a child, a coming king who would reign with peace and justice, a promise that would be fulfilled, but as is the way of God, not in the way they expected. And so this is the dark backdrop we find these promises of Isaiah sitting in. It's into this darkness and death and chaos and gloom he says light is coming. So I want to kind of back up and just read these full, full, the full first seven verses from Isaiah 9. If you're following along digitally, you can uh, go to our app and scroll down to the bottom of the notes page, and there's the passage there. If you're more of an analog person, there are Bibles in the pews if you didn't bring your own. But we're in Isaiah 9, and uh, you can follow along with me. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee by the nations, or Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as the people rejoice at harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. 
Darkness replaced by light. Gloom replaced by joy. And why? Because number one, God is going to end oppression. As he reflects in verse 4, in the days of Midian's defeat, when an army of 300 of God's people defeated Midian, um, the burden, the yoke of occupation that they feel will be broken, that, that tells us that all the injustice we see in the world, all the exploitation and insecurity and unfair wages and corruption that mark our world will be utterly eliminated. Number two, gloom is replaced by joy because God is going to end war. Every warrior's boot will be burned. Why? We're not going to need them anymore. We're not going to need suits of armor or clothes fit for battle because all of that's going to end. Instead of oppression, he will establish his kingdom with justice and righteousness. Instead of war, his, his government will bring peace to which there will be no end. Just to be clear, this is not a description of a cute little harmless baby This is a picture of a king. The government will be on his shoulders. The greatness of his government, there will be no end. And in the the reign, he will reign on David's throne. So I think when we look at these verses, um, we tend to, I kind of think, or maybe it's just me, we tend to picture that, and it's there. But we kind of over-spiritualize some things. I don't know if you know that Christians are sometimes guilty of that. But we are. And, and so I don't want us to over-spiritualize this and miss the message. This is a promise of a radically different kind of politics, a new and better government. The burden of debt will be lifted. The gloom of unemployment will end. The fear of sexual harassment will be no more. The threat of conflict will disappear. And you don't need me to tell you that, that, that we're not there yet. We still see oppression and injustice everywhere we look. Every time you watch the news, and some of you have experienced it firsthand, but there's more to the story. So don't misunderstand. Yes, we stop and we worship the baby. But there's a reason there's only 26 verses in the New Testament dedicated to the Christmas story. And it's because it's not just about the baby, but the promise this baby holds in his little hands. And we get a glimpse of that in in the New Testament as we read the gospel accounts. We get a glimpse of what the reign of Jesus will look like. We saw his power as he commanded the waves, as he rebuked sickness and subdued demons, and ultimately defeated death. We saw his justice exercised as as he exercised his authority and as he spoke. He fed the poor. He denounced hypocrisy. He welcomed children, he treated prostitutes with dignity, and he touched the lepers, the the untouchable people in society. This is our king, and he's coming to reign. He's coming to end war and oppression. And Isaiah gives us a glimpse into this as he names these four names ascribed to Jesus as he says, wonderful counselor. Jesus has spirit-enabled insight, and, and as a result, his decisions are just, and his reign is righteous. He's he's mighty God. He didn't merely look down from above, grumbling about this mess we've all made of the place. He rolled up his sleeves and got down in the muck with us. He is everlasting father. God has been a father to his people from the beginning. He created us. He 
cared for us. And now a king is coming to recreate us. We are born again as a new people. Which leads us to the last name that Isaiah gives this coming king, and that is Prince of Peace. God promises to, once again, just as Gideon defeated the enemies of God with 300 men, so God is now going to bring peace by defeating the enemy, but this time he's doing it through one person. And, and we, we seek peace, we all do. None of us likes chaos. But the peace we often find is, is so insufficient. John Chrysostom, he's a fourth century preacher, said, the peace which comes from a human being is easily destroyed and subject to many changes. But Christ's peace is strong. It's unshaken, it's firm, fixed, steadfast, immune to death, and it's unending. We live presently in a world of fear and gloom, conspiracies and half-truths and fake news, all fed by internet rumors. And we may worry. We may worry about the, what's in the food we eat or the medicine we take. Uh, we may fear Russian interference or Chinese expansionism. We, we may fear superbugs or computer viruses. But we have learned all too clearly in the last couple of years that it's easy to get caught up in all of it and to begin to fear as the world fears. And that's not to say that these are empty threats. We've also learned in the last couple of years there are legitimate threats. The point is, is they're not the real threat. Not ultimately. Isaiah reminds us that it is God's holiness that threatens our ruin. But at the birth of Jesus, the angels proclaimed glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom, on whom his favor rests. The promise of Isaiah was only beginning to be filled or fulfilled in the manger. He came in the person of Jesus to remake us too, to die in our place, to reconcile the wrongs we have done. Paul reminds us that without Christ, we were and are God's enemies, but through Christ, we are holy and blameless and we stand before him without a single fault. And so today, as we kind of wrap up our celebration of the first advent, the first coming of Jesus, we pause to admire the baby who would become a man who would rescue and redeem you. And may we eagerly wait for the second advent, the second coming, when the fulfillment, the final fulfillment of this prophecy will come to pass and the Prince of Peace will reign forevermore. And the good news is we get a glimpse of it. The Apostle John got to see it in chapter 21 of the book of Revelation when he writes this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne, <clears throat> that's Jesus, that I am making everything new. 
And so if you're here, and, and you're, or you're watching online, as, and you're a Christ follower, and you just sit there and sometimes just say, I am not feeling it. I don't have peace in my life. Cling to this promise, Prince of Peace. Resist the temptation to fear as the rest of the world fears, because within you and on you rests the Prince of Peace. And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, understand that this promise can be yours as well. You don't have to live in dread and chaos and in gloom. Jesus wants to remake you too. And so we're going to sing some more and we're going to have a time of communion in a little bit. If you have any need or question or concern, I'm going to be back over here on the side here are uh, what we're calling the next steps room and, um, and I'd love to talk with you but as we continue in worship may we may we cling to that the hope that Isaiah gives us that even in the darkest of days the light is coming it's already here it's in you let's pray Father I thank you I thank you for this Christ child who, who was promised so long ago, who we've gotten to see a glimpse of in the life and ministry of Jesus. Lord, may we all place our, our trust in him. Even though it doesn't seem like the the promise has been fulfilled. We know it has been in part. And that the ultimate final fulfillment will come when Jesus descends from the clouds and calls us home. Or may we live in that hope. May we rest in that hope. May we share that hope with the world around us who still lives in darkness. And Lord, may you receive all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.